Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Wednesday, June 16th. We begin with another edition of Ask the Doctor. We focus on COVID-19 questions sent in by you, the listeners. As always, we're joined by Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist with the University of Calgary. Next, we head across the pond for a COVID-19 update. We speak with Kenny James, UK broadcaster and business owner. We get details on Prime Minister Boris Johnson's announcement earlier this week that the reopening plan for the region is now being pushed back one month due to concerns over the Delta variant. As we continue to get back to normal here in our province, Travel Alberta is beginning to ramp up promotion for both local travellers and international visitors. We speak with Tannis Gaffney, VP of Destination Promotion for Travel Alberta. And finally, most people run in the other direction when they see severe weather like a thunderstorm or a tornado coming their way. But not Matt Melnick. We speak with the Alberta-based storm chaser on when his love for storm chasing began and just how popular the pastime is here in our province. Throughout the pandemic, we have been posing your COVID questions to our experts. That continues this morning. We will never be able to stump him. I have great faith that he can answer all of your questions today. And we say good morning to Dr. Craig Janney, once again, Associate Professor in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. Good morning, Dr. Janney. Good morning. Let's begin with this one. We've had a few people asking it already this morning. Why still are the vaccines not FDA approved? So this simply has to do with the, the original filing and what it takes to get a vaccine out quickly. So these are under emergency use authorization and many, many, many medications actually receive this. And that basically provides an ability to look at that early phase three data, the, the, the 30,000 or 45,000 patients make an interim decision. And then those guidelines get revised as we go forward, which is exactly what we're seeing. So those vaccines, for example, were not approved for people under 18 initially, and now they are. So this is what the emergency use authorization allows us to do, use the real-world data, use the the numbers we have, and get a a life-saving medication out there as we continue to revise the guidelines. Dr. Janney, I want to bring you back a couple of hours in the program. We covered off the story that Boris Johnson, Prime Minister, uh, UK Prime Minister, came out and said, listen, we were going to do the opening up, the uh, easing of restrictions on June 21st. We're now pushing it back to July 19th due to concern over the Delta variant. And I'm wondering, as we look at what's going on over there, how concerned are you that the Delta variant could have such a grip on us that we could take steps back over the next uh, several weeks or months? Well, I think that's the real problem or fear here in Alberta. We do unfortunately know the Delta variant is in the community. It does have greater potential to infect unvaccinated people, so about one and a half times higher than, than, than even the UK variant, which was higher than the original strain. So this is quite infectious. Critically, it can also infect people with a first dose of vaccine. So first dose of vaccine only seems to provide about 30% protection. So looking at Alberta, with the vast majority of people with only one dose, there is a risk this virus can spread. The good news is one dose of vaccine does seem pretty protective about keeping you out of the hospital. So that's great news. But the fact you still can get infected means we can still transmit that virus. And when we think of 70% of Albertans being vaccinated, that means you know, when we count the, the, the kids under, under 12, almost 40% of the province will not be vaccinated. So there is a risk that this virus can move very quickly through those non-vaccinated people, and we may see a spike again in hospitalizations. 
I think the UK is doing this right, slowing it down a little bit. In Alberta, we're making fantastic progress in getting those second shots out. And if we slow down just enough to get those 70% of Albertans with two shots, we could probably very safely move forward with much less risk of having to see restrictions in the future. On that note, we have a texter who uh, wants to know if vaccines are so great, why is the government bribing people to get them? I'm assuming it has to do with education. Would that be your answer? I I think so. I I think, unfortunately, we've seen that narrative throughout the, the entire pandemic with sort of mixed messaging from multiple levels that this isn't a big deal or that we can manage you know, a certain hospital load. We have to remember that with even a small hospital load, there are people in the intensive care unit that are going to lose their lives, and we have a way to prevent that right now with the vaccines. I think if we put it in perspective, um, when it comes, for example, to even childhood vaccines, things we've been doing now for 40 years, so whooping cough, measles, mumps, Canada is actually one of the lowest ranking nations in, in childhood vaccines. We're seeing vaccine hesitancy across the country. So it's not surprising that we're also seeing it now with this COVID vaccine. We need to get those numbers up if we want to ensure we don't have further you know, uh, overflow of the healthcare system into the summer and fall. Dr. Jan, we got a very specific question here for you, but I was sent in by a texter. Uh, do we know which vaccine was received by those at the Foothills Hospital that still caught the virus? No, it's a great question. I, I'd love to know that myself, but no, we don't know. The other piece we, we don't know is how severe they are. Was this an asymptomatic test that was picked up as they're screening an entire unit, or are these people showing symptoms? We know that they were originally in the, in the hospital for other reasons. So, again, there's good um, reason to believe that the vaccines are still protecting from serious disease, which is you know really the ultimate goal of the vaccines. Uh, before we let you go, before we hang, hold you over for the break, because I'm just hoping that you're going to stay with us. But uh, this person asking, and we've had a few people asking, in terms of the Pfizer uh, vaccine, what's the optimal interval between first and second doses? Because it's different between all the shots. Yeah, that's a great question. So what we do know is uh, the three weeks so was was what was determined through the phase three clinical trial. Now, to, to put that in perspective, they, they try the shortest interval feasible in a clinical trial so that they can get those numbers in quickly. Other countries that have been forced to delay that beyond the three weeks, out to eight or ten weeks, have actually shown better vaccine uh, function. So, so you actually got a better response if you stretch that out a little bit. But because we've not actually done all of the time points, it's difficult to say what's best. What we do know is that th- the three-week interval does work, and if that's delayed out to eight or ten weeks, that still also works and perhaps maybe even works a little better. So the the, the vaccine uh, strategy right now in Alberta actually is fitting into what we what we believe is optimal for these vaccines. All right. Can you hang on for uh, mm-hmm. two more minutes with us? Good stuff. More with Dr. Craig Janney, infectious disease specialist from the University of Calgary coming up. And we're back with Dr. Craig Janney, associate professor, Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases at the U of C. Dr. Janney, we've got a texter with concerns about karaoke bars opening up. Is this a good idea? That's a lot of moist singing there. Yeah, I I think it's difficult to to pinpoint one bar that that may be better or worse than another. Unfortunately, we do know that there were outbreaks in karaoke bars in the Quebec City area earlier in the pandemic. So obviously there is a a real uh, possibility of viral transmission. But as with any establishment, they are still going to have to operate under uh, some form of of restrictions, at least in Phase uh, 2 in the early parts of Phase 3. So uh, it's not that they're worse or better than anywhere else, and I think any establishment 
establishment, whether it be dining, uh, a bar, or karaoke, will require each person to sort of do a personal risk assessment as to whether you know th- that's a safe activity for them and, and their health profile and their, their close contacts. Mm. This texture here says, we've been watching sporting events in the U.S. with all of those fans packed in the stands. Then we listen to specialists here who threaten a fourth wave. Why such a difference in perspective? That's a good question. I, I'm not sure why uh, things are, are perhaps viewed less seriously by some states. I, I think what we are seeing is is the the handful of states that are doing this. There are other states that still operate with significant restrictions. What we also have in Canada is whether it's through screening and we have a better idea what's here, or simply it is the way the virus um, is operating. We absolutely have community level transmission of these variants, and we're seeing that right now with the Delta variant in all but one province. So this is the risk. We know it's here, we know it's spreading, and we can look to the UK to see exactly how that virus moves. If that virus is not present in a number of U.S. states, they're under a different threat or different risk assessment than what we are here in Canada, where we do unfortunately have Delta and have community-level transmission. Dr. Janney, any news about any medication for killing this virus besides vaccination? So, no, I mean, we, we continually to evolve our treatment regime for people that are infected. So we are repurposing other drugs, and we heard almost a year ago now the success of things such as dexamethasone. Um, there are new drugs in clinical trial right now to treat patients, uh, both people that are in the hospital, but people that test positive and keeps, helps keep them out of the hospital. So those are going to be important tools as we move forward to deal with variants that might escape vaccine. But as with most health conditions, the single most effective tool we have is vaccination. And we've seen that for the last 100 years or so in, uh, in the Western medicine. Boy, you've done it again. The questions have piled up, though, however, so we're going to have to save these questions in the vault until hopefully you can join us next week. Uh, thank you so much for your time. You're welcome, guys. Take care. Dr. Craig Janney, Associate Professor, in, uh, Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases at the University of Calgary. I know that yesterday we had 127 new cases. Yep. So 127 new cases, that is good news. Remember, like, a month ago, we had over 2,400 new cases. It, I know. It was it was getting scary in terms of our numbers and how they were on the rise. Certainly not the case for us here in Alberta or really in Canada overall. Yeah, well, in, uh, in, uh, in Alberta, 69.4% of those first doses, which means we're so close to 70%, which means we're so close to stage three of reopening. Well, in the UK, though, all eyes have been focused on June 21st, where the next stage of the reopening plan was scheduled. It was until earlier this week when Prime Minister Boris Johnson announced that the date is now being delayed due to concerns over the increase of the COVID-19 Delta variant. With details on this latest development, we are joined by Kenny James, UK broadcaster and business owner. Good morning to you, Kenny. Morning, Andy. Kenny, did, did this this delay in in the reopening and the next stage come as a surprise? To some, yes. To others, no. Um, as you said, Boris Johnson announced on Monday that the, the final easing of restrictions in England and Wales uh, will now go ahead next Monday as was planned. Uh, instead of 21st of June, it's now going to be at the earliest, 19th July. Although Boris has said that 19th July will be the end subject to uh, no mass changes in between now and then. But it's, uh, it's been hard for some people to take in specific industries that have been closed now for well over a year. 
I guess. Boy, that is, that's a big delay for sure. So, Kenny, reaction? I mean, you know, you as a business owner, what were you thinking? Is it, is it the right thing to do right now as you see the number of Delta variant cases continue to climb? Well, Sue, it's interesting because the Delta cases in the UK are, sp- are really focused in specific areas, small areas of the UK. Okay. So outside of those areas, there's been no real impact. But um, the Delta uh, variant has, has, has taken a hold in some small areas, but it's growing very quickly. So you can see why the government wants to keep these things under control. Um, but uh, it's, it's depending where you live and what industry you're in, you have a different view. Mm-hmm. So your industry, you, you work in the hospitality industry, you're entrenched in that. This um, open and shut that we have seen here in Canada, it, it's taken its toll. We've heard from a lot of uh, restaurateurs who have talked about it's almost impossible. Uh, how, are, how are you coping and what are people doing there to keep things afloat when you, you have this uncertainty? I think it's been interesting, um, Andrew, in, in that since things have reopened, uh, places have been busy. Uh, people wanting to holiday in the UK because they can't travel abroad. Of course, we've still got that list over here of over 50 countries on the red list uh, where you can't travel without having to quarantine when you get back home. Uh, and some, uh, In many cases, you're being advised not to travel to those countries at all. But in many holiday areas in the UK, and where our business is based, we're in the Lake District in the UK. Our lakes aren't as big as yours, but they're quite nice. Um, we, uh, we, we've had a lot of people you know, holidaying in the UK, staycationing, that would normally be abroad in, in Europe at this time. Mm. Well, Kenny, I mean, you're, you're a business owner, but you're also a radio host. So do you hear from listeners and, and folks just sort of in the general public? And, and what are you hearing from them? Are they, are they just fed up and think this is an overreaction? Or what do they say? A bit of a mixed view, Sue. Uh, yeah, many people think it's now time to just get on with life, get things reopened again and get back to normal. Many people, of course, will still choose to wear a mask even when all this is over and be sensible. Social distancing, people are more aware of the social distancing thing now and I think going forward will be. But many other people are just saying, let's just get back to normal, get business open again. Let's get life back to the way it used to be. What about, you know, you mentioned within the country and different levels of uh, the impact the variant is having. What about travel? Are you seeing more residents of the UK traveling you know, um, outside the country at this point? No, I think the, the, because of the restrictions on flight, Andy, uh, it's been very difficult for people to be able to travel abroad. And there were instances last week for arguments that Portugal was not on, on any of the lists in the UK. So people flew out to Portugal for holidays. All of a sudden, while they were there, Portugal went onto the red list because they had a growing mm-hmm. list of infections over there. So people then were told that when they came back, they'd have to quarantine for two weeks. So try explaining that one to the boss when yeah. you get back. Yeah, yeah. So, sorry, I was away for two, and now I've got to be off for another two. Um, how, yeah. how are vaccination numbers, Kenny? Are, are, are those sort of, have they petered off as well? No, vaccination numbers are still And there, as I was saying, so where this Delta variant is growing, that there's been a real push, hard push on, on getting vaccination uh, numbers up. Uh, the new j- the jab, of course, is apparently still more than 90% effective against the Delta variant. Uh, almost 70% of the UK now, much like you were talking about in Canada, have, have had the first jab, and almost 50% now have had the second jab too. I'm wondering, Kenny, you know, here there's a lot of discussion around, uh, you know, the freedoms uh, that we have uh, now and the freedoms that we have, you know, once we have our vaccinations. And uh, there's been a bit of a disparity between those people saying there's absolutely no way I should have to show proof of my vaccination uh, as the talk continues around perhaps these immunization cards. What is the, the scuttlebutt over there as far as people having proof that they've had the jabs? It's very similar, Andrew. In fact, this morning um, it's been announced in the UK that people working in care homes uh, and also in the NHS may now be forced 
to have a vaccination before they can work. Uh, and if they choose not to, they may be moved into a different role or even have their, have their work taken away from them. So there's been an outcry about that in the UK. And there's also an outcry, of course, that the UK is against having any kind of identity card. And they see that uh, a COVID jab card is another form of identity card. Oh, so people don't like the idea of having a, like a vaccination passport kind of thing? No, not at all. So it's been very, uh, it's spoken about very against, very much against it only. Wow, incredible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as far as the July, you say July 19th, the, the kicking it back. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what does this mean for, for events? I mean, typically yeah. uh, summer festivals and such. Some festivals had already decided to, to go ahead anyway, albeit with reduced numbers because the, the, the big venues that would normally have had 30,000, 40,000 would only be permitted to have 10,000. So some of those events had already agreed to, to operate with smaller numbers. Some of the big events, such as Glastonbury, the big one over here, of course, decided not to because the problem they have had is getting insurance in that, uh, that if, if the, the event was pulled, the insurance companies wouldn't cover them for, the, for that. Uh, weddings is the other one. I know Sue is obviously quite close to the wedding industry mm-hmm. uh, over here. So they, they, there's been a 30 people maximum over here in weddings, and that was relaxed this coming week uh, when Boris made the announcement on Monday. But you'll have to do your own risk assessment now for your wedding and take notes as to, to how you think it works. And aside of the, uh, the married couple, that's the only dance that's going to be allowed all night. Oh, man. That's just, it's not fun at all. Well, let's hope that the bump in numbers does not materialize for you in the UK. Stay safe, Kenny, and thanks for always giving us great updates. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. That is Kenny James, who's a broadcaster in the UK as, as well as a business owner. Travel Alberta believes it's time to start getting people exploring our great local locations once again. To that end, they're launching a new campaign encouraging Canadians to come check us out and Albertans to spend their travel dollars here close to home. With more on the campaign, we are joined by Travel Alberta's Tannis Gaffney, VP of Destination Promotion. Good morning to you, Tannis. Good morning. Tannis, let's talk about the timing. and Why do you feel now is the time to launch this campaign? Well, we all know we kind of feel that uh, there's some pent-up demand and we're all looking forward to summer. But I think most importantly is just uh, we're trying to drive awareness and bookings for those tourism and business operators that, you know, uh, have really been affected by the pandemic. So we're really trying to help these businesses stay open this summer and drive some uh, Albertans and some traffic through their doors. Yeah, that great point. So what will be the campaign? What will it look like? Is it TV? Is it print, radio, all the above? What are you, what are you focusing on? Yeah, it's all the above. Uh, the campaign's called Worth the Wait. It's uh, TV, radio, uh, all digital channels as well. So it does launch uh, today in Alberta. And we know that uh, Albertans are are feeling comfortable traveling within the province. And they're also feeling comfortable welcoming people from other parts of the province. So I think it's really going to resonate. So, you know, we've had a lot of concern because we have so many questions. So you, you're, you're hearing and you've done the research that Albertans are uh, saying that it is time to invite uh, others from outside of our province to uh, visit? Yeah, we've been doing research um, with Destination Canada, our national tourism body, every two weeks just to see how welcoming people are feeling. And uh, Albertans continue to be uh, the highest province in Canada that feels feels most welcoming for, for other communities uh, to, to visit uh, and other parts of the province right now. So 
that's really exciting, you know, to have that uh, that welcoming spirit uh, throughout the province, and I, I think that's something Albertans have always stood for. You know, Tannis, you hit it right at the beginning. It's been a tough year and a half for so many businesses, so to be able to welcome people back in the doors and hopefully at, you know, full capacity very soon as well, uh, the businesses must be really pleased that you're you're launching this campaign and getting things moving again. Yeah, there. Well, we know that about ninety nine percent of tourism partners in the province are small businesses, or even you know solo entrepreneurs. So uh, they've been working really, really hard on you know their safety protocols, and and I think uh, we can. We're just doing our best to make sure, not only from a marketing standpoint, but also behind the scenes, we've been uh, funneling all resources we can through our investment programs, just to kind of. Uh, make sure that they're afloat and now, you know, drive some visitation through, through like I said, through those doors. Dennis, tell us about the resource travelalberta.com. What can people find there? Is this a, somewhere where people can start planning their journey and their trips? Yeah, we have all sorts of stuff on there. Uh, you know, 10 reasons to visit uh, the city, you know, what you can do in Calgary, staycations, uh, some road trips in Northwest Alberta. There's all sorts of interesting Indigenous experiences that Albertans might not have known about. So there's exciting stuff on there if you're just planning a weekend getaway, a day trip, or even a week. You know, it's we're trying to keep Alberta, you know, fresh of mind. And, you know, why not rediscover our province this summer? You know, there's it's, it's top of mind for visitors from all over the world, and we live here. So we're trying to just showcase those gems that people might not know about that are in all corners of the province. A, a great point. It, we were kind of forced to do it last summer. I think people are excited to do it again this year because we do have great, great places to see in, in the province of Alberta. Thanks so much for joining us, Tannis. Absolutely. Thank you. Appreciate it. That's Tannis Gaffney, who's the Vice President of Destination Promotion for Travel Alberta. Go to travelalberta.com. There seems to be a lot of storm activity in southern Alberta lately. Well, I guess tis the season, mm-hmm. which is a dream for local storm chasers. Matt Melnick is one of those folks who gets a rush from heading towards a storm as we run away, and he joins us now. Good morning to you, Matt. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Good. Thank you for taking the time with us. A very Anytime. very interesting hobby, <laughs> very interesting side hustle that you have. And it's to me, I'm a meteorologist, a certified meteorologist. I was in the weather game for, for 25 years or thereabouts. And it's interesting to me because uh, people would say to me, are you a storm chaser? And I said, no, I, I study the weather. I have education in the weather. But the last thing I want to do <laughs> is chase down a storm. So I know that it takes more than just an interest in weather. So what is it about storms that draws you in and uh, makes you want to chase them down? It's the, the kind of foliage you can get because the, the cloud formations that form out of these supercells are absolutely incredible. And when you do it for a long enough time, you see that each storm is actually different from one another. And it's absolutely incredible to see what these clouds can actually do. So, I mean, is it, is it the tornado then? that you, are you, Is that the ultimate hope? Is that that's what's going to form and you can be right front and center for that? Ultimately, yes, but the tornadoes are very, very rare. So if you go out chasing, expecting to see a tornado every time, then you're going to be disappointed. But it's those incredible shelf cloud structures and the rotation and things like that that you see that uh, makes it all worthwhile. Matt, there has to be a start point, though, versus, you know, just sitting on maybe the back deck having mowed the lawn and here comes a storm and you have a little interest uh, that was your call to action that I want to get in the car, maybe want to get some gear. I want to, you know, study this and and get involved. Do you remember when that time was? Um, I was probably about five or six years old when the tornado (laughs) 
hit in Edmonton mm. in 1987. Oh, yeah. And uh, I remember my mom was showing me the clouds that day, and I looked up and I thought that was incredible. And she's like, "We should, you should hide in the basement now. And I'm like, no, I actually want to stay outside and watch this because I'm, I'm into it. Every mom's <laughs> nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Has this season so far been any different from what we've seen? Are are we expecting more, or how do you even predict that? I would say the season has been a little bit slow to start, and I look back on the photos that I've taken from last year. I already had uh, way more events that occurred uh, compared to now, but um, the season is still pretty good. I think that it's just a little bit late to start, but we're going to probably expect more events uh, coming up in the next few weeks hopefully <laughs> well even the pictures incredible and you know if you fl- flip online and uh, see some of your work it's fantastic so i'm wondering is is that the ultimate goal to document through pictures or do you chronicle these storms or what do you hope to achieve you know once you've gained this knowledge um i i just yeah i want to get the pictures I'm, I'm into the postcards i want to try and show people that storms aren't that bad that they can actually be beautiful if you you know get the right foreground in it and get the right perspective. And, you know, it's, uh, I mean, I'm into lightning too, which is, which I think is great. Like when I go out at night, I look for those awesome nocturnal storms that just uh, shoot out lots of lightning and they can actually be very beautiful in the end. I think storms are beautiful. I totally agree with you on that. We've seen some storm chasers in this world who've got like crazy vehicles that are all souped up and cameras and all kinds of weird. Do you have a vehicle like that, Matt? Unfortunately not, but, you know, I'd like to, <laughs> but, I, yeah, I don't. Yeah, one day, maybe, one day. <laughs> I'm wondering, you mentioned lightning, and when you see these incredible, outrageous pictures of lightning, they almost look like they've been doctored by a computer, because anybody who takes any sort of pictures knows that, obviously, finding that right second. Uh, but when you talk about lightning, it can be a millisecond. So how, from a, if you can even get technical with this, from a photographic standpoint, do you take a picture with success when it comes to lightning? Well, lightning at night is actually very easy. So if you have a camera that's on a tripod and you open the shutter, leave it open for, let's say, for example, 30 seconds at night, anything that happens within that 30 seconds is going to show up in the photo. So it's actually a lot easier than most people think. Matt, what's the craziest storm you've seen so far, up close and personal? Oh, that was about uh, a year ago around today in Calgary where we had, um, it was tornado warrant storm that moved to the city and there was three different types of supercells. They had the, the low precipitation, the classic, and the high precipitation and we actually got to see all three different types. So that was actually remarkable to uh, witness that in person. Matt, you say we got to see, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about this storm-chasing community as far as, you know, you have this passion. Do you gravitate toward one another, or is this something that you met online? Tell us about the team and the community in our province. Yeah, every one of my friends that chases storms I have met online through the community, and it started off very small, uh, a Facebook page that's called Alberta Storm Chasers, and we were a few of us that were doing it. It started off maybe about eight or nine of us that were doing it, And now there's probably about, oh my goodness, over 100 people who are actively chasing now in Alberta just because Alberta is so unique and different from the other states, uh, or sorry, provinces in Canada that uh, get thunderstorms. It's it's, it's much better here. Speaking of states and provinces, if you could see any storm at all, if you could be right in the midst, front and center of the wild and craziest thing ever, what would it be? What would it look like? Do you want to be there for like an F4 kind of thing? Um, 
Yeah, most people do. Or, or me, it's not my thing to see a tornado. I, I mean, it is great, but I'd rather just see the, the perfect supercell formation and you get some lightning involved and then some interesting foreground and, and, you know, try and get that photo that someone wants to hang on their wall and make it look beautiful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So I'm wondering then, you mentioned this Facebook group with hundreds of members. Uh, if somebody is has, has even an interest, is this... Some is that the best place to start, or, or where can somebody, or maybe a young person like how you started when you were young, where where can somebody start? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you look look up Alberta Storm Chasers on Facebook. That's where you start, and then you just basically do your own research and learn online. There's so much material on YouTube. There's people like uh, Picos Hank um, in the states that are Reed Timmer, and you just follow these kind of guys, and they're they're they've been storm chasing for years. And they, they teach you the little things of what to do and how to do it. And it's definitely not something you want to do alone by yourself because there's so much going on. But when you have two or three people with you, one person can navigate, another person can look at the radar. Well, if you're the driver, then you're focused on the road and you're not distracted. And that makes it a, a much better experience. Frankly, it's not something that I want to do at all. So I'm just going to watch for your photos and drive <laughs> drive the other way. Thank you so yeah. much for joining us, Matt. Appreciate your You're time. You're welcome. Again, Alberta Storm Chasers on Facebook. And if you want to find some of Matt's artwork, you can go online, find him at social, at Melnick, and it's N-Y-K, at Melnick underscore photos. That's Matt Melnick, Storm Chaser. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcast, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts. And tune in to Mornings with Sue and Andy from 530 to 9 every weekday morning on 770 CHQR.